All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse number 12 today. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Father God, thank you for your word. We just praise you for this wonderful book and uh, the, the impact it has in our lives. I pray today now as we uh, turn our attention to these few verses that you'll speak to us. I pray you'll fill me with your spirit and forgive me for anything that would hinder my usefulness. Uh, hide me in you, Lord. I pray that I'd say only what you want me to say and nothing more. And I pray, Lord, that... Uh, what needs to be said would be said boldly and in the power of your spirit. I just pray that it would be a, a profitable few moments that we spend together around this book. May we all have ears to hear. May we all respond as you would have us to to your word. It is your word, and we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, sometimes when you read a passage of Scripture, um, a particular phrase will jump out at you. And if you've developed the habit of reading your Bible uh, you know, regularly over and over, you'll keep coming back to the same passage of Scripture, and you might find that that same phrase always jumps out at you. And that is the case with me in this particular passage. Uh, that little phrase, uh, work out your own salvation, has always jumped off the page at me. Every time I've come to this passage, work out your own salvation. It just kind of jars with me, and I have to stop and think about it for a few minutes. Now, some people like the concept of working out. Uh, my son Joshua, for example, is uh, is extreme fitness nut now uh, and works out all the time. His wife, Allison, is a personal trainer. At least she was until she got pregnant with twins. And uh, she's into that kind of stuff, too. They like the idea of working out. I have a neighbor who walks constantly along my road. Um, I don't know who she is, but I, I see her every time I go out in the morning, rain or shine, snow, warmth, heat, what doesn't matter what. Sometimes she's all bundled up in a parka, but she's walking and getting in her morning workout. When Brother Nick used to attend here, I used to marvel at his running regimen. Nick used to run in 100-mile races, which just astonished me and astonishes me to this day. 100 miles running. I couldn't do 100 steps. I remember when the first Rocky movie came out. Do you remember the first Rocky movie? I mean, good night. The best scenes in that were Rocky Balboa's workout routine. Remember that? Who can forget his one-handed push-ups? You could probably do a one-handed push-up, couldn't you? I used to be able to do a one-handed push-up. Uh, his, his, that, who could forget his, uh, his, uh, punching routine with the, uh, carcasses, the beef carcasses in the cooler, or, or his running up the 72 steps to the Philadelphia Art Museum and his jumping up and down in triumph when he got to the top. By the way, if you go to the Philadelphia Art Museum today, there's a statue of Rocky Balboa at the top of it there just to commemorate that very thing. 
When I was younger, I was into that sort of thing. My brother and I used to lift weights. We used to work out all the time. We even incorporated some of Rocky's routines into our stuff. Ask my brother the next time you see him about uh, the drinking of the eggs from a glass, and uh, he'll have something to tell you about that. Uh, you know, I used to ride a bicycle a lot. I used to just be into all that kind of stuff. I used to ride in big, big, long 100-mile, 200-mile rides. And, of course, you know, you can tell that by looking at me, can't you? You really can. You have no trouble with that. I mean, it's obvious, right? And I could prove it to you if you doubt it. I could take you to my house, and I could take you into my basement, and I could show you my stuff. I could show you, for example, that there's a treadmill down there. I could show you that there's an elliptical trainer down there. There's a, a couple of stationary bicycles down there. There's weights down there. Now, before I take you down there, I'll have to go down and knock all the dust off of that stuff. But, but I can prove to you that it's there. You know, actually, I have a different view of working out these days. I'm more like the man who said, I wanted to work out, but then I wanted to not work out more. That's more me these days. So the person who said, I am in shape, round is a shape, that's, that's more me. One person asked another one time, what's your favorite exercise? And he replied back, chewing. That's, that's my idea of working out. Or I love doing crunches, if by doing crunches you mean eating chips. Yeah. I like the old guy who told his wife, my doctor told me to start my exercise program gradually. Today I drove past a store that sells sweatpants. Yeah. That's me. So my idea of working out has changed over the years. I did see something just, just this past week online that I thought, well, now there's a workout program that I could get into. This fellow was selling what he called an exercise block. Have you seen this one? It was just a little block of wood. I don't know. He had a couple of different uh, variations of the thing, I guess, there. But you buy this little block of wood, and there was three instructions inscribed on the side of it. Instruction, step number one said, place block in the middle of the floor. Step number two said, walk twice around it. Step number three said, go sit in your recliner because you just walked twice around the block. Now, see, I could get into that one. I could get into that one. So when the Apostle Paul says, work out your own salvation, is that what he's talking about? That kind of working out? Of course, we know it's not. That's nonsense. None of that is what he's talking about here at all. So we need to figure out what does he mean by this. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that he actually gives us four different imperatives here. That, I just think, is the most important one. He tells us four different things that we ought to be doing here. The first one is that one, work it. The second one, though, he talks about is, is a little bit further down in verses 15 and, or 14 and 15 when he says that we need to shine it. And then in the next couple of verses, he talks about the fact we need to preach it. And finally, he's going to mention the fact we need to rejoice in it. So that's where we're going this morning, those four different things. The most important one is that first one, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it. And I will give you a word of warning right from the beginning. This is the longest point. If we get to the end of this one and you think the other three are going to be that long, you'll all get up and walk out. That's not the case. The last three will be short today. We'll concentrate mostly on this one. So let's look at verses 12 and 13 and ask ourselves, what does he mean when he tells us there we need to work out our own salvation? Because at first glance, if, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, and you have been saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to that phrase and you're thinking to yourself, is that a contradiction in our Bibles? Because, frankly, we, we, we believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and uh, infallible, and perfect, and holy word of God, right? We should amen that. We believe that, right? Uh, it's the God-breathed word of God. It does not contain any contradictions. 
We do believe that all Scripture is inspired by God and, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We do believe, as Peter said, that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Second Peter 1.20 says. That's the New Living translation of that verse. And over and over again, the Bible makes clear to us that our salvation is not a matter of works. Our salvation is entirely a matter of faith. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus said doing good works, even, even great works, even wonders in his name was not sufficient to save. Paul told the Romans, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. To the Galatians, he wrote, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. He told Titus, when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 all the time, don't we? By grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if the Bible teaches, the inspired, inerrant, infallible, perfect, holy, God-breathed Bible teaches that works cannot save us, that salvation is purely a matter of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, of receiving the free gift of salvation that he died on the cross to offer us. If that's what the Bible teaches, then what in the world is Paul talking about here when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Well, let's start by really noticing what he says. He says, work out your own salvation. Every word of our inspired Bible is important. Work out. He did not tell them to work for their salvation. It's important for us to remember who Paul is writing to here. If you flip back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 1, the very first sermon that we preached in this series, we looked at this particular passage. Who was his audience? Philippians 1.1, he wrote to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi. Saints, of course, we talked about it back then, is, is not some upper class of Christians. It's not some special group. The word saint in the Bible simply refers to Christians. It's simply talking about saved people. Everybody in this room who is saved, who's been born again, is a saint. And so that's who he was writing to. He was writing to people who were already saved. This book is a book written to Christians. He wasn't telling them how to be saved because they were already saved. Rather, he's telling them how to live when saved. And I believe that that being the case, what he was saying here is that if it's in you, it will come out of you. If it's in you, it will come out of you. Jesus said something similar along these lines, which might help us to think about this and get our minds around it. Jesus said that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. He was saying something similar there, wasn't he? What is in you comes out of you. 
Now, if we look at verse number 13, it helps us to understand this a bit better. As a matter of fact, you can't really understand verse 12 without taking it uh, alongside of verse number 13. Verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Paul says that we are to work out our salvation in verse number 13, or in verse number 12. And in verse number 13, he says, God works in you. Which is it? God works in you. And we're to work out. We need to see both halves of that in order to get the whole picture. Because both of them are important. The first word in verse number 13 is the word for. And, and really, you could change that to the word because. That's what it means. And if you read it that way, maybe it's even a little bit more clear. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you. Uh, uh, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So Christian, your salvation was worked in you. By God, Philippians 2.13. But now it must be worked out in your life uh, by living for Christ. The former, God working in you, speaks of our justification. The latter, our working out our own salvation, speaks of our sanctification. The former, God working in you, speaks to our standing before God. The latter, working out our own salvation, speaks of our state. Here's how one commentator explains this. He says, the phrase, work out your own salvation, teaches that because you are already saved, because God has already entered your life in the person of the Holy Spirit, because you therefore have his power at work within you, because of these things, you are now to strive to express this salvation in your conduct. And he goes on. He says, furthermore, the verse does not say work for your salvation or work toward your salvation or work at your salvation, it says work out your salvation. And no one can work his salvation out unless God has already worked it in. I recently, I think just this past week, had breakfast with my good friend, Pastor Phil Ross, whom many of you know and love. We talked about a lot of things. We always do. But eventually our conversation came around and lighted on the same topic that it always lights on. We always manage to get to this place at some time in our discussion, and that is, why is it that so many professing Christians seem to live no different than the world? That just seems to be something that he and I always manage to come around to. And, and somewhere in that conversation, Phil will always come up with John chapter 10 and verse number 27. He always goes there. It's kind of like uh, Don always goes to his particular verse. Somehow he works every sermon around to his one verse. Phil always likes to go back to John 10:27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. And he always says, if a person is not following, then it is almost certainly an indication that they are not sheep. Interesting. One commentator suggested, while we must not believe in salvation by works, we must certainly believe in a salvation that works. In other words, we must not fall for that lie of the devil which suggests that one can truly be saved and not manifest it by good works. And, of course, isn't that what James talked about? In James chapter, uh, where is it? James chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, he said, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? I think that's what... Uh, Paul is speaking about here when he tests the Philippians to work out your own salvation. If it's in you, it should come out of you. That's what he's talking about. 
And so we have to ask ourselves a question, don't we? How goes that with you? How goes that with you? What comes out of you? If Christianity is in you, Christianity should be coming out of you, does it? If somebody were to examine your habits, the things that you do routinely, the places that you choose to frequent, and I'm asking these questions of myself the same, the words that come out of your mouth, the thoughts that go through your mind, what would, uh, what would people see? What would people hear? What comes out of you? And I don't think we ought to just think about this as, as an absence of rotten things. I think we ought to also think about it as the presence of good things. I mean, does Christianity come out of you? What good habits, what good speech, what good behaviors, what things that honor the Lord come out of us? I think that's what he's talking about here. So how goes it with you? I think that's the main thought of this passage. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If it's in you, it will come out of you. Now, before I move off those and talk about those last three imperatives that I wanted to talk about, let me, let me just mention a couple more thoughts that come out of this, uh, this passage, because there are a few more thoughts swirling in my brain. First, an encouraging thought. At least it encourages me. I hope it encourages you as well. The Bible says that it, it is God who works in you. Now, that ought to encourage you. It encourages me. Because it tells me that not only did God work in me when he saved me, but he's still working in me today. It is God who works present tense, in you. I love that. I love that little old children's song that we sing, He's Still Working on Me, to make me what I ought to be. took him just a week to make the moon and stars and the, and the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, and how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Praise God for that. It is God who works in you. That word works there is the Greek word energon, from which we get our word energize. God works in me. He energizes me. He enables me. And he does the same for each of you. I love this thought that I read just this past week, and several people have been tossing this around. It said something like this, when God called you to serve him, he had already factored in your stupidity. Boy, do I love that. That was one of the most encouraging things I've ever read in my life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He knows me, and he keeps right on working in me. Uh, constantly. It ought to encourage us. Regardless of where we are in our faith with Christ, we can take verse 13 to the bank and be encouraged by it. It is God who works in you. And lest you forget, you could flip back to chapter 1 and verse number 6 and be reminded, Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's working in you, and he won't quit until he's done. Hallelujah. That ought to encourage us, encourages me. Second, there's a convicting thought in here. There ought to be a convicting thought anyway. If there is no Christianity coming out of you, it is almost certainly because there is no Christianity in you. And boy, we need to think about that one. That one ought to make us stop and examine ourselves. One man said the God who had done the work of salvation within them had not abandoned them. He was still at work in them, giving them both the desire and the power to work out their salvation. And then he says, if we have no desire to live for the Lord, we have no right to say we know the Lord. Wow, that's, that's pretty strong. But I think it falls out of this very plainly. If there's no Christianity coming out of you, it's almost certainly because there's none 
in you. Third is a foundational thought that comes to me. God must work in you first. He must work in you first. You can't live like a Christian if you are not first a Christian. I think sometimes we Christians expect ridiculous things from the lost world. We, we get very upset that the lost world acts like the lost world. We get very upset that lost sinners act like lost sinners. A person cannot live like a Christian unless they are a Christian. It's just not possible. God must work in you first. Warren Wiersbe said the principle Paul lays down is this. God must work in us before he can work through us. And so if all this seems foreign to you, then if you find no desire within you to live for Christ, if you're completely happy living like the world and feel absolutely no compulsion whatsoever to change and to live out your faith, then I think the message to you from the Bible is very clear. You're not saved. You've never trusted Christ. You don't know Christ as your personal Savior. God has not yet done the work of salvation in you, and therefore you have no interest in living out your salvation because it doesn't exist. You can be saved today, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. And then finally, I think there's also an explanatory thought here. Just as God works in us to save us, God also works in us to help him, or help us live for him. <laughs> the amazing thing about these truths is, is we can't hardly get our brain around them completely because even our working out of our salvation is in reality him working in us and through us. And so it's very difficult for us to get our mind around. But Paul said something that helps. He's told the Galatians. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. I think that verse kind of parallels what he's saying right here. His salvation was God working in him, and everything about the life he lived from that moment on was also a result of God living in and working through him. Of course, the means by which God does this is his Holy Spirit, right? His Holy Spirit, which comes in and indwells us at the moment of our salvation. When we place our faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to us and dwells every believer. Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we need to work it. We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And I think that's the primary truth that the Apostle Paul is teaching here. But there are three other things, and let me just mention these very, very briefly. Because I think that they fall out of this. I think these other things that he mentions, there's, if you look here and you, you just kind of try to figure out what the imperatives, what are the instructions, what are the commands he's giving, you'll see that there are four. But I think these last three are evidences of the first. Verses 14 and 15, he says we need to shine it. Shine it. If we are working out our own salvation, he says in verse number 14, complaining will be minimized preferably missing altogether. Notice the phrase there in verse number 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things. 
We ought to circle that all things in our Bibles. My favorite little uh, explanatory line about the word all, you've heard it a million times, but what does all mean? All means all, and that's all all means. Do all things, everything, without complaining. Complaining is always a problem for people. The children of Israel were great at complaining, if you will recall. They complained when they were in Egypt. They complained when they were out of Egypt. They complained when they, or they, they had the food of Egypt. They complained when they didn't have the food in Egypt. They complained when God rained manna down from heaven. They complained when he, he covered them with quail. They complained when there wasn't enough water. They complained and complained and complained and complained. And we read that in our Bibles and we think, what a bunch of bums. And yet we're exactly the same way. We are a complaining grumbling, complaining lot of people. But I think what Paul's saying here is if we're working out our own salvation, if we're living like Christians, then this is an area we need to work on. Complaining or grumbling, as some translations translate that word, ought not to be in us. Other places we read it, don't grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door, James 5, 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, 1 Peter 4, 9. So we ought not to do that. And the second word he mentions here is similar. He says we're to do all things without complaining and disputing. Not only should complaints be absent amongst God's people, and we've talked about this over the last few weeks, but so too should be arguments and fights and those types of disagreements. That's what's meant by the word disputings. And notice that the word do is in the present tense. It's continual action. Do all things continually, forever, without disputing and without complaining. So why is this a needed part of working out our salvation? What's he talking about here? Well, he says, because the world is a dark and lost place, and we have the only light. Look at verse number 15. Can any of us doubt the truth of verse number 15, that we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? Can anybody doubt the truth of that particular verse? The New Living Translation translates that in a world full of crooked and perverse people. The world is lost. The world is dark. And Jesus said we are the light of the world. And we need to shine it. We need to let that light shine. And when the lost world sees us mired in complaining and disputing, it doesn't see the light. It sees no difference between us and them. So we need to work it. We need to shine it. Notice the third thing is in verse number 16. We need to preach it. If we are working out our own salvation, it will be seen in our holding fast the word of life. Verse 16. And I like this because Paul's circling back here to one of my favorite topics and one of our favorite truths. He's saying that if we're living as Christians, if we are working out our own salvation, then we will be people of the book. That's what he's saying. We will be people of the Bible. We will hold fast the word of God. We will read it and read it and read it some more. We will love it. We will live it. We will order our lives after it. And when life gets hard and Satan tempts us to despair, as the songwriter said, We will grab hold of that and cling to it like a lifeline. Those who are working out their own salvation are people who hold fast to the Bible. And depending on what translation you're holding in your hand, you you may see that there's another way to translate this. Uh, there's, There's a couple of ways to translate it. It could also be translated holding forth the word of life. Either one is accurate. In other words, we're not just to be continually holding on to it in our own life, holding fast to it, but we're to holding it out, the word of God, to others. Throwing the seed and sharing the good news, preaching it often. We are, last I checked, Friendship Bible Church. And everything we do here is meant to be and ought to be centered on God's Word. 
on holding forth the Word of God and holding fast the Word of God. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If I ever stop preaching the Bible up here, if I ever start just preaching cutesy little feel-good sermons, I am very serious when I say I want you to grab me and throw me out of the place because that's not what God's called me to do. That's not what God has called anybody to do in this pulpit. We're to be preaching the Word of God. And, and one of your primary jobs uh, as a church is to keep those who teach in this place true to the Word of God. You're supposed to be Bereans. That comes from Acts chapter 17 and verse number 11 when Paul described the Bereans, or the Bible describes the Bereans as saying that they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the Word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. They listened to the preaching and then they read their Bibles and they compared the notes and they determined whether or not the guys were teaching the truth. That's what you're supposed to do. Compare what I teach to Scripture. Compare what every teacher who teaches here to Scripture and call us on it if we're not teaching the Bible because we're supposed to hold fast the Word of God. If we are working out our own salvation, it will be seen in that, holding it fast and holding it forth, the Word of life. So work it, shine it, preach it. Finally, verses 17 and 18, rejoice in it. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Once again here, especially verse 17, we're reminded of a, of a dark truth about this letter, and that is that Paul was writing this letter from prison and that he was under the threat of death. He did not believe that that was going to happen. He was confident that he was going to be released. We saw that back in chapter 1 and verse number 25. But he still recognized death as a possibility. He knew that his imprisonment could end that way. And here he said, even if death was the way his imprisonment would end, he rejoiced and would rejoice to see his Philippian brothers and sisters working out their own salvation and living out their faith in Christ. And he encouraged them to rejoice in the same way. All of us ought to rejoice when we see believers living for Christ. When we see believers uh, working out their own salvation. All of us ought to rejoice when we see the Word of God being held fast or held forth uh, before others. Yesterday afternoon, we had the opportunity as a church, which is just a wonderful opportunity, uh, to sing praise and worship songs for a whole hour at the fair. We were given one hour in the corner stage, prime spot, prime time, on the busiest day of the fair. And uh, it, was just, it was just a blast. It really was. And we sang songs about our Savior. And our sister Beth had all kinds of little things she tossed in there about the gospel and stuff like that. It was, it was just a good time. And, and literally hundreds, uh, hundreds of people walked by as we were doing that. Some sat and listened and sang with us. Some stood out there for a while. Some just walked by and you could see them singing along. But the fact is the light of the gospel shined. The word was held forth. And I don't know about you, but I was rejoicing. I remember when I wasn't singing, I was looking, Brother Jeff was up there with the biggest smile I've seen on your face ever when you were singing. Maybe it's because the stage was bouncing so much, I don't know. But uh, it was just, it was a wonderful time, and you could not help but rejoice. Not just because it was fun, but because the Word of God was going forth. So four things Paul tells them here, but they all really have to do with that first thing. Work it. Shine it. Preach it. And rejoice in it. 